Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is an international bestseller of nine books. His most recent, and he says his most important, is Unlimited Worth. This book and his life's work guides us to feel our sense of worth which is the key to our energy to fulfill our life's purpose, our life's why. When we are confident in and energized by our purpose, we can fulfill our dreams, but sometimes we get in our own way. And that is a struggle for many of us. He had to uncover the path to his purpose and the ability to execute on that purpose by first healing past traumas and reforming his subconscious patterns to realize his unlimited worth. And I'm not talking about some guru on the mountain professing enlightenment. Now, this is a practical man. He's a keynote speaker, a sought after business strategist who has shared his insights and wisdom with thousands of passionate, purpose-driven entrepreneurs, business leaders, and executives. And yet, through all this, he realized he wasn't living up to his unlimited worth. At times, His ability to fulfill his purpose of coaching others to a holistic balance of personal, professional, and philanthropic development was significantly diminished by his life left unfulfilled. He lives, loves, and adventures with his wife and his two young adult children in the beautiful Sea to Sky Corridor of British Columbia, Canada. And I'm making a commitment right now that I'm going to be coming out there and visit this man soon. Please welcome the CEO of Grow, Get, Give Coaching, the founder of the Unlimited Worth Project and my friend, Mike Skripnik. Hi, Mike. Hey, Gary. That was a mouthful and I'm going to hold you to it. Um, you're going to come out and see our beautiful area. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I've only been out there once or twice, but not to your place. So, so Mike, this, this journey that you've been on You've been a very successful business person, a very successful coach to help a lot of people, but it seems that recently you've uncovered some things in yourself that have helped you recognize that you're not living the life exactly the way you wanted to live it. Talk to me a little bit about what, what this, this idea of unlimited worth is. For sure, Gary. Uh, you're, you're right. You know, I, I went through life, a good portion of my life being achieving. Uh, succeeding, growing, uh, restarting, transitioning, changes. That was something that was natural. It felt normal to me. And not unlike a very good majority of people out there, uh, the last couple of years wasn't an easy period for anyone. Uh, There's all kinds of different adjustments. Some saw businesses take off, but had challenges personally, isolation, and some had challenges in their business. And here I was, you know, ready to launch. It's funny. It's two years and a, two and a half years later, and I had written a book, and I was ready to go on stage, and I was ready to tour North America, and like like people in the same sh- shoes, 
my workshops and speaking, which were the key components to attracting people to my business, went to nothing, right? Mm. And so we spent uh, a good amount of time helping others, helping my clients navigate. And so you pour your heart into that, right? It's, you know, we're in the service business, we're in the helping mm -hmm. business and we, you know, we live and breathe the success of our clients as well. And it makes us feel good. And so when that kind of started to ease up a bit, I, I went and tried to reinvent. What, do I, mm -hmm. what was I going to do? And every few months, the as you understand, some of the coaching industry, the digital online marketplace, I just couldn't find a groove and I couldn't get traction in the way I wanted. And, and it just didn't feel genuine any, anymore. Something was missing. That mm. connection with people you don't know, making connection that wasn't in person, just didn't seem to land. And I was getting so frustrated. And along with that, of course, comes fits and starts financially. And so, you know, looking at, 18 months in, just a year ago, uh, we were rolling into September and I was working on this really interesting contract and we had a little misunderstanding about where it was going, how big it was going to be. And I had different impressions and, and really basically it just ended. <laughs> it mm. ended rather abruptly. Um, and it wasn't that big, but it was, seemed to be the most important thing in my entire life. And I took it badly. And, and immediately the exhaustion, maybe the time that I spent in the in COVID um, and trying to reinvent myself all the time, just drove me into this deep depression. Hmm. And so like I did every day uh, to take a break, I went for a walk. Uh, only this day, it was very different. And I looked at the raging river um, that was uh, near my house and contemplated hucking myself in. And, you know... <laughs> It was dark um, and it wasn't really that surprising to me at the moment. In fact, felt like a very good alternative. And then the next nine days, uh, the same thing. In fact, during that period of time, I wrote down on a piece of paper, the pros and cons of how ending my life would help my family. Mm. Um, and in that dark depression, it was clear that uh, I was challenged and I was having a critical moment in life. And I desperately reached out to a friend I knew, a PhD uh, psychologist, a good friend of mine, and she helped me. She kind of like gave me that life preserver, you know, I asked for it and she was there and she pulled me out of it and changed the trajectory of everything. Um, and from there, I ended up going through a path of healing. And so what it was for me, Gary, is I was 51 years old looking at my life going, how did I end up here? I felt mm. hopeless. I felt worthless. And when I looked at my history, I felt like every time I wanted to drive something forward, I was limited mm. and I just didn't understand it. And I was determined at that moment to never do this to my family, never put them through that again and correct uh, maybe patterns in my life that were decades long. And there was kind of an elephant in the room in my life that I'd never ever dealt with. And for me, it was, you know, at 11 years old, I was sexually abused. And that in itself was something I, when things are good, I always thought I overcame, you know, when things were feeling rough, I just, you know, I just didn't want to talk about it. And at mm. the end of the day, it was my secret that I kept for decades. And I didn't understand how profound an event like that at 11 years old shaped my entire life. In fact, put me into movement, put into motion behaviors, I call patterns, that were hardwired into my brain 
and subconscious that I was playing out all through my life and I didn't know it. So here I was thinking I went through my entire life um, with, you know, will, my own free will. Um, mm. I did. I made lots of good choices. I made lots of choices that didn't work out. But at the end of the day, they were layered on top of these underlying patterns. And for me, there was some real key ones. And, and so I went through this journey of healing. I mean, there's, there's a lot and we've got a lot of time to talk. So yeah, let's back up for a second because, uh, when you talk about patterns, you know, these are the patterns that I'm, I'm, I'm hearing is, you know, through this whole separation of humanity, we feel during COVID where we're doing a lot through, through video and you have hired, you and I have had a bunch of conversations over the last couple of years about this, where your life has been one of success. You've got a strong family, you've got a strong support system you're achieving, you're succeeding. And all of a sudden, because of something beyond your control, and that's what you just said, I thought I was in control, I had free will, right? I can control this stuff. Mm -hmm. You can't control it. You're, you're not able to control it. So this, this disease that's running around, this pandemic is shutting us down. It's pulling you away from connection, human connection which I don't think you realized the importance of that up until then. And even at that point, you didn't. You're going to suck it up. I'm not, I'm not achieving. I'm not succeeding. But I'll figure out a way. I'm going I'm to work through this. But deep down in your heart, in your soul, you're feeling this, this sense of loss and hopelessness to the point where you're walking outside and thinking about jumping into a raging river. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and not, not just what, what stopped you. For nine, 10 days, you were thinking about jumping into that river. What stopped you? There are, well, my family, um, uh, you know, I did have the rational thought that I had no right to mm -hmm. inflict upon them a new trauma in their lives and change their lives forever because I was enduring my own trauma. Like I mm -hmm. had no right to do that. And my love for them um, overwhelmed, you know, all other decisions. But you weren't really, at that moment, you weren't really thinking about past traumas and everything. You were just thinking no. about the present traumas that you were in without recognizing yeah. and understanding how this, this historical trauma was affecting you in a lot of ways, right? You're, you're absolutely right. I didn't have an understanding of the connection. What I understood is I was depressed, hopeless, worthless. Uh, I felt useless. I felt shame. Mm. I felt guilt for dragging my family to this point, you know, all mm. of that. So, you know, they would be better off without me is that that was my rationalization. But when it came down to it, it was the most selfish thing I could possibly have done. And, and that kept me from, you know, really taking the plunge literally. But there was another, there's a couple other things. I'm an optimist. You've, you know me, uh, mm -hmm. you've known me for a while. And, you know, I don't, I want to see if that light coming down the tunnel, <laughs> I want to see if it's train or if it's just sunlight, you know, I don't, I, I just want to see what's coming up next. Like life is so precious in that way that there's always great surprises. And then the last thing, Gary, this is, this is where my state of mind was, is I felt like such a failure at that mm. moment that the last thing I wanted to do was fail at killing myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. What if you right? screw like, this up, right? <laughs> well, I, I didn't, you know, we don't have a gun culture here in Canada. We, you know, and throwing yourself into a river, 
I'm actually a fairly robust swimmer. And, right. and so that wasn't a you sure might survive. thing. <laughs> right. And, and it would really suck to survive because that would be painful, traumatizing and, you know, humiliating. And, and I just couldn't yeah. fail at one more thing. That's how I felt. That's and pretty so, dark humor. I got to tell you. <laughs> you know? I, that's, you know, that's the plain spoken life I grew mm-hmm. up. I grew up in a household that that dark humor was, you know, kind of standard fare. Mm. Yeah. So let me, I, I'm, I'm curious and I want to get back to this, but I want to ask you a question as I think about this is you've shared this with your family now. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. What yeah. did they, what was their response? And I'm really interested, especially with your children, when you told them what you were feeling, what you were going through. Yeah. It, my wife, it was very, well, it's inescapable that you live in a household um, where someone is in dark depression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife disclosed later on that she was worried every day. She worked away from where we live. And every time she would come home, she was hoping that I'd be there. Oh, wow. um, I didn't, I didn't know she had had that kind of acute sense of what was going on with me, but that was her fear. Um, the kids, they come and go and they saw it. My son was hugely busy in, you know, his last semester of school and, you know, just pulling his life together so he could get into college the next year. So he, you know, he was really focused. They're just, we have a busy, active household. Everybody's doing their thing. And yet there was this dark cloud. Yeah. When I, you know, I started by reaching out to the person I trusted. Of course, my wife, Sherry, was involved all the way along. She's one person who's always known, quite frankly, one of the few in the planet. Mm. And then the realization was after I, I, I reached out for that help, I went to see another individual who was very specifically trained to help me, help me in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And in that window of time, it was a time to begin to come clean, you know, break the silence, break my silence, because this is the ominous thing that was keeping me, you know, limited and, and, and pressure on me. And, and so I, so began the exercise of telling what my childhood trauma was and sharing it with my daughter and sharing it with my son Mm. and our son and our daughter and, and my mother, um, she coincidentally was coming to visit a few weeks after that moment. And so those moments um, were difficult, but I was so committed to changing everything, to making sure that I never, I was so scared. Gary, mm-hmm. I was so scared I can't imagine. Of, of where I was. Like, I can't believe that, you know, I'm a, I'm a high, happy, optimistic human being who's never had a mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. And you know, here I was like considering that as my alternative and there was no way ever I wanted to be back there. And so I made a commitment. I'm going to come clean with everybody and it, everybody who I needed to. And it started with our family because they needed to understand where I was. And then I started working with a therapist and sharing it with my mom was probably one of the harder things because, you know, it was her car I got into after that incident. And mm-hmm. she didn't know from that moment for 40 years. And it was almost mm-hmm. 40 years to the day. It was so close in timing. Um, it's strange that way. But she didn't know and she never would have. I never would have told her. Um, the last thing I wanted to share with my mom was that she couldn't, in, you know, in perception, protect me. Right. 
you know, she had no choice. She had no chance. There was no way. It was not her responsibility to protect me in that moment. There was no way she would have had an inclination. Yet, I didn't want her to burden her with that. And that's why I never spoke up. You know, that was one of the reasons I never told my parents about it. And I didn't want my dad to kill the guy. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I wouldn't blame him. And uh, that's not really how I wanted our family uh, drama to unfold in life. Mm. So, um, you know, there's so many reasons. And, and we talk about being successful. Mm. Um, gosh, Gary, there's so many paths we can go down today. Um, uh, how do you, how is, how is your definition of success changed? through, you know, and, and, and how do you explain it in unlimited worth? How has your definition of success changed through this experience over the last year? That's a great question. And I'll, I'll reflect on um, the healing and how it affected me and then what I learned. And yeah. so by December, so this is September and, you know, I, I had no money. I had no figure. I couldn't figure out where my, my business was collapsed completely. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to pay to have the psychologists work with me to do EMDR. And we can talk about that in a bit. Um, and so it was a couple months, you know, eight weeks almost before I got to get into sessions with them. And then we worked together for two weeks straight, two hours a day, super intense, immersive. And midway through, everything was different. Hmm. Everything was better. And it's hard. I almost say it's so profound. It's like you can never describe what it's like to have a child to someone who's just about to have their first child mm -hmm. and then you know, right? And then you know, for me, it was so profound. It was, you couldn't explain it until you were there. And like the, the world was just suddenly HD clear. It was, everything was different for me. No one noticed it changed. And all of a sudden my energy was different. My outlook was different. People were approaching me unsolicited out of, you know, basically out of the blue, either sharing immense personal stories with me completely on their own, or things were starting to gel. And I just hadn't felt that in years, really. So let me see. But one of the things you're saying is, is no, we can never understand the transformation that occurs in these moments. We just go through the experience. We talk about this in our leadership program. We have a three and a half day boot camp. And people will go through this and they'll have an experience that's different than anybody else's experience. And you can't explain what that is. You just know that you're better for it. And when it you was come out of it, yeah, it's, it, and for you, obviously this is a whole other level because we're, we're going from a guy that's suicidal to this guy that I've known for, for years that's very positive and upbeat and it's part of it's a front, part of it is who you are. It's in your DNA, but there was this underlying trauma that occurred to you that you hadn't faced now that you're facing it and sharing it isn't it fascinating and i've experienced this myself with some of the things that i've shared in struggles in my life how your vulnerability helps other people open up and be vulnerable well that's so that's it so this is getting to the real core of a lot yeah. of what happened what went on yeah so I, it's like running a you know i had an old i don't know i had a scamp i remember a plymouth scamps 70, no, I, I 74 is Plymouth scamp. That thing ran like it was a 318, eight, you know, V8 went like crazy and it was running on seven cylinders. Okay. So it never, ever lived to its full potential, right. but this thing still rocked and rolled. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I was, I, you know, successful mm. perceived successes, right. I, you know, everyone's got varying degrees and I say this professionally and family, my family was always a place where it was good. Like I never had challenges in at home. 
right? Mm. It was really professional and I'll explain a little bit more. And so I was always operating on seven cylinders, like not like 95%. And so my 95% is pretty freaking good. And <laughs> if I do right. say myself, Right. Because most, well, most people are running on a four cylinder engine, maybe some higher performers on a six. You were running on a seven no yeah. matter what, right? But you still yeah, weren't living always, up to your potential. Yeah, I could use octane fuel, but I still wasn't there. But that's yeah. the thing. I never was holding back intentionally. I was holding back subconsciously mm. most of the time. Occasionally it would rise up in, in conflict and you're like, they don't understand my situation, right? Like I'm deep, you don't know where I, what really has come through my life. And, and yet what happened, and this is where it got different, is when you remove that, when I remove the anxiety, this is what EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, it's a, a form of treatment for PTSD mm. combined with psychotherapy. And what we did is remove the anxiety all the emotions. And so in my book, Unlimited Worth, what I talk about is how emotions are what cripples us, right? They they make us move, make us make bad decisions. They drive the bus, right? But really, it's the underlying patterns that put us into that moment mm. for the emotions to really rise. And so I was operating subconsciously and I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. And so here's the big thing for me, it was the pillar of the community that assaulted me, that abused me. Right. And so he was the charismatic six foot tall ex war, war hero. You know, he third 35 missions over Germany. I mean, this man was decorated, um, choir leader, church leader, everything. Right. Like, and, and families entrusted their boys to his care. And he lived up to that role in so many ways, mm. except all along he was raping kids. Wow. And, and he was setting them up in a very methodical way. Mm -hmm. And so what I had, you know, our kid brain is taking in every experience we get so we can build uh, the body and the adult to survive and, and we ultimately can procreate. You know, I guess at, a, at a, the most biological level, we're here to make sure the next generation happens. So it's preserve thyself. And so my mind wired in self-preservation and protecting Mike, the first and foremost thing is do not trust the pillar of the community. Mm. Right? So at, at 11 years old, from then on, I never trusted good men. Wow. Women were fine. My family was fine. People I knew before they were, in, you know, enamored with like, they were my personal friends. But from then on, I could never trust a good man. Now I didn't do this consciously. And so you can imagine through high school and, you know, in university, I was not very conscious of most of this, you know, my brain parked it. And so I would, I would come to heads with coaches, uh, band directors, um, teachers, you know, and I wouldn't come in conflict. I wasn't angry. I didn't fight with people, but there would be this repelling that would mm. happen. And so maybe I was best in on the team to be the MVP, but I never got the MVP. I never got the team captain role. I, you know, there were a lot of moments where, you know, there was something about that guy, Mike, and they just never gave me that accolade. When it came to women, if they're women coaches, no problem. I got all the reward I should have, but with men, uh. And so now, now fast forward to business. <laughs> yeah. So I was in finance for 20 years, 
finance and business and then business coaching. So you can imagine in finance in a male dominated environment where my under my un, subconscious hardwiring is never trust a good man. Right. So every time there was a good mentor, mm. a good possible person, I would stay away from them or they would get the energy and re be repelled. And I ended up working with people who I could see, I say, see their daggers, you know, I could see their flaws, right? And, and then being smart, I could navigate it and I can mitigate it. And so I was always overconfident about my ability to mitigate. And the problem with the financial markets is they always are, you know, they're cyclical. cyclical. So every down cycle, the pressure is so immense. People with flaws, their bigger flaws start to show. Mm. Um, in the high cycles, greed comes through and the people's other flaws show through. And so I was always around when it blew up. <laughs> and, so, and so I was right in the mix, right? And um, it would cost me money. It would cost me a business uh, opportunity. It would cost me a transaction, transition, new job. So I would go through these cycles um, and always look around at who I was hanging with. And the reality was they were flawed men that I chose. Because those flawed men you were more comfortable around than the They're ones safe. that were, I could see, they were safe. I could see it coming. Yeah. Yeah. I could see the danger. But of course, I had no understanding of what that depth of danger could be. And then at a certain point in my life around 2010, I basically cut off all involvement with men in general, I partnered with nobody, did no business. I went lone wolfed it, uh, got into philanthropy with my investment business, uh, started planning and doing really good stuff for people. And every good man I brought in, I brought in on a transactional basis. Mm. So I did a deal or hired mentors, hired coaches. The reward was great, but those weren't real relationships. And so I was left empty all the time as well because you know, I wanted them to love me and care for me and, and elevate me. And they wanted to have a transactional relationship and do their job. Um, and so it became, you know, it, it was sad for me. So I became a coach, you know, wanting to do things differently. Yeah. And that differently meant, you know, I'm going to be the coach that I never got. And so people could rely on me to be all in, except then we went into this COVID move and things changed. Yeah. So, you know, as you, as you talk through this, it, you know, it's interesting listening to your conversation with your own, with yourself here, <laughs> because you're, you're, you're reflecting back and talking about this, this path, this transition that you took. And so many things, when you talk about never trust a good man, you weren't actually aware through all of these years, why you were that way. You just were acting and avoiding and separating yourself from good people because of the trauma that occurred to you when you were 11 without knowledge, without awareness. But now you look back on all that and you can say, oh yeah, I was there and it was there and it was there. And actually, Mike, it just, it oh. realized why you weren't returning my calls in the last two years. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. That's one thing. You, you know, you, you've been a, a man I've felt very inclined to be connected with. You're a good man. Um, Gary, you know, you're, it's really interesting how obvious it is. Mm, and now, this is and how I'm, obvious I, it is now. I, I, yeah, like it became so obvious like through the fall and through my treatment. Um, that's why I feel like I, I feel healed. Yeah. So let me ask you, healed, it leaves a scar. Do you feel healed oh, or do you feel whole? 
I, I feel whole. Yeah. And I guess that's a great way to position it. Thank you for that. Uh, when I look back, everything is so obvious. Like that was my core uh, pattern, but there are many others mm. because you, you just look at the emotion that you had and figure out what it was connected to. Mm. And then you could figure out the pattern. Like here's what happens is once you get to that moment of realization, once you get to what I call the other side, it's so good. You were asking me about other men and other leaders. Um, I had to ask around because I'm like, is this, this, this is great. Like, am I supposed to be <laughs> feeling this good? Right. And I, I wondered if other men who'd gone through a journey of something, some childhood trauma and gone through healing, if they had the same experiences and they started, I started interviewing men and men with some like, oh my gosh, the depravity of humanity. That's what I learned. Yeah. But the other side is these men came out the other end with actual treatment. Cause that's a key element of this is you have to have professional treatment. Mm. You're not going to do it yourself. Uh, uh You can't read your way out of it and you can't kumbaya your way out of it. It is not possible. You need professional help. When they did that, their life changed as well. And you asked what's, what was better? Um, or maybe what was that hundred percent? What does that unlimited feel like? It feels like, um, I was spent an entire lifetime colliding, like at a subatomic level, my mm. particles were bashing off of other people's particles, but we're made of 99% space, like dark yeah. matter, open space. And so now it was like, I could operate in an area that everybody else's space could commingle. And so now I was part of the universal community, if you will, in that way. And, and so that's the profound level. But, you know, all the men that said, yeah, I, I felt shame and guilt and worthlessness. On the other side of healing, none of our normal, and I say normal because it's, you know, it's typical, typical behaviors. None of our typical emotions are connected to these deep-seated uh, patterns anymore. And mm -hmm. so when a person who hasn't had trauma or who has healed from trauma experiences an emotion, it, it passes, right? Mm -hmm. They deal with it in certain ways. It doesn't bring them always down unless it's like some major biochemical thing going on. But most people get sad and they pa it passes. And happiness comes from wherever. It just shows up, right? You, you're happy. All my stuff was connected before. On the other side, nothing's connected. So I can enjoy emotions for everything that they've got. Most of them are positive, but even when the negative ones come in, I've got strategies and tools to make sure I can deal with it, that they don't pull me in and they typically don't last. Yeah. And that's the difference. And that was what operating at another level is, is none of this baggage Right. And now I'm so aware of all the different things I was doing. Well, so here's, yeah, here's the key to it. And I, I think it, you know, and, and tell me if I'm wrong in my summary of this, because, uh, you know, this, this is a, this is a podcast about leadership, right? And mm -hmm. what you're talking about is self-leadership. And I talk about this all the time. You can't lead others through things that you don't have. If you don't have compassion, if you don't have the ability to deal, to talk to, to lead good men, because of the way yeah. you see them from your trauma, that's going to get in the way of your ability to interact in a relationship. And building relationships is the first few words of our definition of leadership, the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassion and accountability. It comes with building relationships. So all you're talking about ties into what the work that we do in leadership by going inside, understanding 
what's going on inside that's holding us back from our uh, unlimited worth. That, and, and, you know, we played with the words, uh, you know, healing and, and wholeness. But the fact is, is that this trauma occurred to you. It's never going to go away. There's a history in it. There's a sense of mental recollection of it. There's a sense of some feeling. And what you said was, I can feel it. I'll feel sad. But the awareness of it is, ah, ah, there it is. I feel it. Take a breath and I can go. I can move on because of, of the healing you have, there are still scars, like whether we like it or not, there's still scars, but it allows you to feel strong. And I want to use these words because as you're talking about getting in the car with your mother, I can't for any moment imagine what that moment was like. And especially looking back on it, not being able to say anything, being scared, shitless, just being scared. Okay. And, and not knowing what to do, all right? And, and feeling as young men that we did as kids, that if I bring it up, there's something I did wrong. I'm, I'm, or if, as I get older, you get in your 20s and 30s and 40s, if you bring it up, you're showing weakness. And oh yet, my gosh. right? Gary, uh, this was the man, his wife was the principal of my elementary school, <sighs> right? So the, the, the shit that could have happened uh. as a result of me having... You know, so I said, compartmentalize yeah. it, lock it away. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. This is the last time I, and I, you know, I quit choir, like I, I moved on. But for me, I just locked it and moved on. And for another nine years, eight years, I did not rec recollect it. But then as an adult and, um, you know, in my 20s and beyond, um, I did have full awareness. Mm. And the truth is, is every single day I thought of it. Oh. every single oh. day well how many times do you hear someone got raped someone got abused yes. someone got so it's like boom yeah. trigger all the time right and so i was always yeah me too and and so that for me was a big deal and today i think about it every day but i think about it differently i have to say and there is there is a relationship of duration okay if someone has been abused whatever however or their trauma has gone on for a sustained period of time I believe, and I don't, I haven't seen any studies on it, but I believe there's a strong correlation to the amount of time it takes to heal relative to the amount of time that you were traumatized. Mm. There's a lot of time in between. So it feels like forever, but really it, it isn't. Um, there's, a, and I think there's some work on that, but I haven't seen any good studies. Because I have this one incident, I view it, I view it no different. And, and because healing is possible, because treatment is available and you can move to a better place. Like the moment you disclose, you're a hundred percent better. The moment you disclose, you're a hundred percent better. And then every step you get better and better and better. Like it's not immediate recovery. Every, you know, like if you lost your house and car and kids and cat, like they're not coming back right away. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a recovery period. Um, but I wanted to reinforce that the moment you step into the light, things are that much better. Well, you're, you're in a position now where you can ask for help. You know, otherwise you're doing it all on your own. And sometimes, and I'm going to say this about, and I don't, I don't know what the studies are around trauma either, but I can only imagine that if it's sustained over time, it's much worse for you mentally and, and thinking about it over and over and over again. But for you closing it down for I don't know if you said nine or 10 years. 40. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The, 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 where I had where no you, recollection you, 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 as a kid. Yep. It was pure protection. But it was still in there. 
Oh yeah, it was in there, trapped. And then thinking about it every day for for decades, it's mm-hmm. still there. So you relived it over and over and over again, and until you made it quote unquote public. Yeah. All right. Uh, for yourself, making it aware for yourself. At that moment, at least for me, when I went through some some trauma and challenges in my life, when I got help for being able to express it. And some of these things, like I, I share now with some of the things that I've gone through in my life in my leadership programs, because I want people to know the work that we do is I'm not perfect. I got I got the same problems <laughs> different ways, okay, as you do, and different different things. But uh, I'm it's the trauma that you talk about, and here's what I, I'm really just so proud to call you my friend is being able to be open about this, to be able to let people know that you can't do it on your own. You need help, but express it, find the help. And those around you that love you, they will love you more. They'll, they'll love you more. Gary, The so I, I address and I work with leaders, owners, leaders, you know, industry leaders, and uh, and my book and a lot of what I'm doing now in this realm is directed that way. And there's a reason for it. My ultimate goal is to make sure that the next generation of boys become the great men they should hmm. and better men than our generation hmm. or whatever is, gener- you know, the adults today. And the only way I can do that is by affecting the adults today to make sure that they create an environment that those boys can become men and be able to be comfortable and feel safe that when they need to deal with whatever it was, because you can't stop every trauma from happening in people's lives, but you can help people disclose. And so if I had this moment in my twenties, I can only imagine how, uh, how limitless things could have been. I had a really good life so far, (laughs) you know, and I'm going to have a great 48 more years is I'm giving myself a hundred. Okay. And, and so, what people don't understand is that the fear of disclosure. Mm. So I'm working with the people who can make the impact, like the industry leaders in the what I call the boardroom, the locker room, the green room, like entertainment, sports and, and business. The leaders in there that have the hardest time disclosing once they create a platform or a comfort that people feel that, OK, I can have these challenges and I can seek help. And I won't be a pariah. I won't be. Um, I won't lose my business. Someone will come in and compete and take me out. Like is you know the whole patriarchal dominate, make money, get women fast. Like that is such bullshit. Yeah. Right. And so when you asked how men were, were they better? The other side of it is every man I spoke with is better in as a whole, personally, spiritually, whatever it is for them. They're just better humans. Yeah, you're talking about it again, feeling whole, right? So, yeah. so are you now describing your Unlimited Worth project? Because I, I love that name, okay? I love the name of the book, Unlimited Worth. But what I'm hearing is this is this is your project, the Unlimited Worth this project. This is the project. Is helping yeah. men disclose, open up, be vulnerable, and and learn to overcome these, these traumas so that they can be a better version of themselves. Yeah, I, I mean- the plethora of risks that men in leadership positions perceive mm. um, of disclosing mm. is is very real in their minds, laughable once you get it out. <laughs> yeah. It's so, you know, like you said, everyone who loves you will love you more. Mm-hmm. 
everyone who um, you know has their own experience will suddenly become closer to you. Conversations will become meaningful and you won't lose your business. You won't be better. You won't be worse off. Nothing will go bad. And that which goes bad isn't involved in your life anymore, which is great. You yeah. know, then, you know, like it's so clear. And so once you get over that moment of concern of the perceived risk, then here, here's what I'm saying. I, I'm not sensationalizing. This isn't, I'm not talking about the scandal of my assault. I'm talking about the scandal of my life being stuck in those patterns. There is no way in hell I should have stuck in those patterns for 40 years. That was, that's the biggest injustice. So if I can help a man before they kill themselves, before they contemplate killing themselves, before they're one of those men where everyone goes, they, that man looked like he had everything going for himself. I wonder why he went in the garage and turned on the car, right? Like we don't need those stories anymore. And they're happening four out of five times versus women in 40 to six year old men. Like right now that's a huge plague. It is its own pandemic. And, and I'm gonna add to that because being former military, it's even worse in the military because of uh, PTSD and no that, question. that kind of trauma that's causing the level of suicide to be double or triple what uh, the general population is. So when you look at men in those situations, it's just, it, it, it hurts my heart to hear about it. So, well, here, here's what we learn during our, our trauma is that our, the methods we use to protect those kids or that man who's being traumatized in the military is very incongruent with regular life. Mm. Right. And, and, and that's the challenge, right? Mm. Like there was nothing wrong with learning to protect yourself. That's a good innate instinctual behavior. But if, if it affects the boardroom and it has nothing to do with, so what you learn in healing is you learn to trust. And what mm. I've learned is like you said, that incident happened. It's not going to happen again. Not going to happen again. Right. I, I'm not, I'm not the 11 year old kid. Um, there's nothing that can hurt me out there. I'm not in a military moment. My life is not threatened every day. Um, all it is, is my perception of what could happen. And the reality is, is I can trust that I'll be just fine. And what I was never good with is being who I was at my core, mm. that authentic person, that authenticity, that genuine person. I exuded it, but I didn't buy into it because I thought if I was a hundred percent in, then I'd be revealed, then I'd have to tell my secret, mm. right? And so it was always about guarding the secret or something would be revealed that I wouldn't be the guy that I, everyone thought I was, you know? And yet the very secret was the one, it was the pattern that you talk about that you had to reform that was totally. causing that was causing the problem. Yeah, like I've worked an entire lifetime trying to avoid uh, being defined by my abuse and all along it was defining me whether I liked it or not. And so now I've got control of that entire thing. So I'm, I, I'm the plain spoke. I'll go up on stage. I will get on media. I will be the guy. The leaders that are afraid, they build up perimeters and walls and, and they can protect themselves with money, people and structure. And they're never going to share their deepest, darkest secret. They don't have to. They have to talk to the person, one person they love and trust. 
and a professional. That's it. That's it. No one, you don't have to have a mea culpa. You know, like I was worried, like a lot of men are worried, like, okay, well, if I have to like go into therapy, then I have to tell everything I've ever done wrong. And you're like, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have right. to do that. This you don't have to talk this about stealing the gum. Right? This is not a confessional. Yeah. This is identify the trauma that is changing your life, whether you like it or not. Fix that and nothing else is going to matter. You'll be able, you'll live better. You'll be better for it. Well, I, I think that's our mic drop moment to, to finish this up. Because what I loved and what you just said was just tell one person to one professional. That's, that's it. it. You know, if really simple. So I, I, have a, I have a question I ask at the end. I think I know the answer to this question already, knowing you and knowing what we've talked about for the last 45 minutes. But I, it's what I do, Mike. I have to ask the question. Do it. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back 30 or 40 years, what would that letter say? Know yourself. Trust that you will be okay. You're of value. You're of worth. And you're a good man. Yeah. Well, Mike, I, th this has been informative, helpful, and I, I want people to know that, you know, we'll put information in the show notes for the Unlimited Worth Project and your book's coming out and this podcast will be part of that, that campaign that I know can help a lot of people. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and your wisdom with us today. Thanks, Mike. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.